Welcome to the Holistic Ease Podcast. I am your host, Erin Oberlander, Certified Holistic Aromatherapist, Herbalist, Holistic Health Expert, and Modern Homesteader. This podcast is where you can come to learn and be inspired about a wide variety of topics, all related to holistic lifestyle. Drawing upon ancient wisdom from Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, modern sciences, as well as the art of aromatherapy, we start to connect more deeply with our innate wisdom and our inner voice. Nutrition, essential oils, herbs, spirituality and faith, movement, seasonal living, permaculture, and an occasional digression into the land of the weird and funny, all these things we candidly and honestly discuss here. Why? Because I believe it shouldn't be hard to live a life closer to the cycles of nature that improves your quality of life, health, and relationships. So come along with me and let's learn together how to live a holistic lifestyle with ease. Okay, welcome back to the blog and the podcast. It is podcast six that you're on, Mom, okay. if you need to know for future reference. Okay. Um, so today my guest is my mom. I'm having my parents on as, yes, my some of my first guests. Not just because they're my parents, though. It's also because they're two of the most knowledgeable people that I know. And we're handy. And we're handy, yeah. My parents live right down the road. <laughs> So today I have with me my mom, Linda Swindler, and we're going to be talking about canning. So on my social media for the last 10 years, of all of the topics that I've talked about, do you want to know what I've had the most questions about? Evidently canning. It's canning. People are really interested in preserving their own food. Why do you have an alarm? <laughs> to take those supplements you told me to <laughs> This is real life, people. At least she's being compliant, compliant with her supplement regime. Okay. Um, so I think this is really a pertinent topic, particularly this year, because with COVID, so many people have grown a garden this year that have never grown a garden. And then, of course, the next question is, oh, my gosh, I actually grew a garden. I don't know what to do with all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So how do we do our food preservation in a way that is safe and also efficient? And I think that canning is probably the most intimidating style of preservation. Probably. I would say the other options are freezing, mm -hmm. which has a lot less regulations, but then you have to have a lot of freezer space. Yep. And yep. you have to remember to take things out of the freezer so they're thawed yeah, before you can use them. Yeah. And, or dehydrating. Yeah. Um, which is just a little more time consuming, but, um, and yeah, so canning, I think, has a lot more... Uh, things to it. Yeah, for sure. So my mom has been canning. You didn't just start canning when you became a farm wife. You were you canned with Mumu growing up. Some, she didn't, didn't do that much canning until they moved to their other property okay. out of town okay. and had a big garden. She did jellies and things, but um, so how did you get into it then? When we grew a garden, when we grew <laughs> married, we, we grew a good big garden, and you know, like you say, you have to. Uh, know how to do it yeah. and um, fortunate to live in a place where there is good resources. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of those resources says, um, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of knowledge to be able to do canning. And I think there's also, at least I have seen a lot of incorrect information out there, whether it's um, in old cookbooks or it's even online, people are posting things that aren't the best resources. So Let's... I, yeah, I even got caught in that myself this year, and I'll, I can oh, go into that. So we're going to tell some I of our bloopers. I can go into bloopers. that, yeah. I'm going to tell some of my bloopers, too. So 
I think the most important thing you can possibly have if you're going to talk about doing canning before you go and get anything else that you need is this book. So for those of you on the podcast, this is the Blue Book of Preserving by the Ball Canning Company. And you can see mine is like very, do you have yours with you? Well, I don't have mine a, is very no, this was abused. I got as a, as a um, Better Homes and Garden. It was a wedding gift. So uh, that shows you how long I've had it all shows should be an indication that some of the information might be out of date. Yes, yes. I would say your if you have access and you should somewhere in your county have access to your extension office. Mm -hmm. They have come out with things that are called bulletins. If you see this. Yep. This um, one says canning and freezing tomatoes. So it's just like a little folder that has yep. the most recent science-based information, right? Right, with recipes that are approved. Mm -hmm. Here's one, uh, low-acid vegetables. Very important. Pickling products. Pickling is the most Gems, easy. jellies, and spreads. Fruit products. Here's a whole one on just salsa. People love salsa, and it's the, I think it's the most labor-intensive one. Let's preserve sauerkraut. Ooh, yep. There's Different opinions on that. Yep, there and are. And then freezing vegetables. Yes. Uh, those. That's just an example, and these aren't really the most current ones. I'm sure that they, because I haven't had to um, look for a long time. Look, yeah. Yep. Um, but that's what I would really say. If you have any questions at all, get to your extension agents. They're a, they're a branch of your ag-based uh, land-grant university in your state is yeah. kind of how that works yeah and all this is based on the research and things that they have done at their at the university and then they put it out and they would also have if you have questions mm -hmm. they would have a resource person we used to get to have like a um home home uh, home economist in each county we mm -hmm. don't have that anymore mm -hmm. but there is a county agent mm -hmm. who could um also answer a lot of your questions or get you to a person that could help you out. So if you're trying to figure out who that is in our state, this is North Dakota, it's NDSU, North Dakota State University. That's kind of the hub for the extensions. And then ours is based out of our um, our county at the right. courthouse. So maybe even just going to your courthouse and asking. Yes. And we're not going to have time to tell you how to can today. Okay. Like there's, it's not possible. Well, um, can I just say something more else more yes, about, yes, you can and say. I don't know if this is even in effect anymore, but they used to offer classes in home canning, and then you could be certified as a um, home canning expert, so that if there was qu home canning questions, they would be referred to this local person. Okay. And so there, uh, there might be that resource for you too. I wonder if they're doing that, because they are doing the master, master gardener thing still. So right. I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure. I know a lot about extension has changed, but as far as resources to teach you how to can, we actually have one here in-house with me. So in the fall session of the Intuitive and Seasonal Living Academy, which you can find by going to bit.ly slash my capital I-S-L-A, my ISLA, you can get enrolled in the Intuitive and Seasonal Living Academy. You can either do the whole year or you can do one session. Now next week, on Tuesday, actually, is our fall equinox. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. 
So that means we're like fully into fall things. And of course, at this time of year, fall, the purpose of fall from traditional Chinese medicine is to harvest. Part of harvesting is knowing what to do with that stuff. And I have a bonus session in the fall academy about canning that goes through a lot of the things that you're going to need in terms of, okay, you need these kind of jars, you need these kind of lids, you need this kind of um, canning vessel, you need to not do these things. Um, and so if you're looking for more details about how to can, that is a really great place to start. So again, that's bit.ly slash my, and then all capital I-S-L-A. So check that out. Um, but today we're going to be talking to you about common canning mistakes, some of which we've made, mm -hmm. some of which we have not made. Um, and it's important to know with canning that there's actually some really serious consequences Absolutely. to making some mistakes. Do you want to just talk about some of the consequences of doing things incorrectly? Botulism. Botul I'm terrified of botulism. <laughs> so yeah. terrified. Well, and then you have your high acid foods and your low acid foods. Mm -hmm. You can water bath can anything that's high acid, mm -hmm. but you must pressure can those things that are considered low acid. Fruits and vegetables, certain ones are low acid, and any kind of meats are low acid mm -hmm. and have to be pressure canned because in order to kill the bacteria in those um, food items, you have to have your water temperature higher than boiling, and the only way you can do that is through a pressure canner. Right. I am not, I don't pressure can for a variety of reasons, and I'm just not going to at this point in my life. So i um, not an expert in that, but that's where you start. Can I pressure can? or can I water bath can? So if you're wondering, like even if the food that you're working with is a lower high acid food, the ball blue book is divided into two sections. One is the high acid, one is the low acid, and you'll have different directions for how to can depending on what that particular food is. I do pressure can, but I do it very infrequently simply because I feel like it's a lot of resources and energy that have to go in to can that food. And then I'm also suspicious about what happens to the nutrient density and the nutrient content mm -hmm. when you have to just cook something for so long. Um, but there, there is definitely a time and a place for it. And so it's something that I've played with a little bit and I'm now hearing that people are doing it in their Instapots. No, no, that's a no-no. That's a no-no? That is a no-no and it'll tell you in your instructions you get with your Instapot or the different oh, yeah? brands. Yes. Oh, okay. They're not approved for that. Um, maybe that's coming down the pipe, but mm -hmm. don't. it's a no-no. So let's talk about what you mean when you're saying approved, because um, I think that people may not realize that a lot of the canning recipes out there, need, well, all of them that we're going to use need to actually have been tested in a lab to make sure that the ingredients and the temperatures and well, you, all of that. Like your ratios need to be uh, kept proper, you need to follow that recipe so that if you're water bath canning, that you have not altered the acidity. Let's take um, let's take spaghetti sauce, for instance. You start with tomatoes, which are a high acid, normally not a problem, and then, but you wanna dump in onions and green peppers and that sort of thing. We, you, and you, you just can't randomly do that. You have to keep it at a ratio that keeps that acidity up. So you need to follow those those recipes. Like um, if you double it, fine, but um, you've got to keep that high acid product in at other, the same ratio. Yeah. So in other words, if you're adding extra ingredients that aren't in the recipe, you could be changing the pH, which could change the type of safety protocol that you need to follow in order to That's not right. get botulism. And let's not right. 
let's just not have botulism ever. I do have a botulism story for the end of this podcast, so make sure you listen to the end. Okay, so let's go through some of our canning mistakes. So that was number one that we didn't even think we were going to talk about. Number one is, I guess right now you're not allowed to can in your Instapot. Right. If somebody knows differently, if there's been some testing done in that the lab. That was the instructions in my instructions. Okay, I, I don't know if I even, see, I'm not a rule follower. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know if I read my instructions. Um, Should you be canning? Not in that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing I really follow instructions in the kitchen to a T is when I am canning, and it is because mm -hmm. of these safety things. So Pay attention. Yes, so number two is paying attention. So I'm going to put you on the spot because you have a good story about this. We were making this spaghetti sauce that one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it was in the fall. Lots of things were happening. I had one child that was playing basketball. I needed to go to her game. The guys were in the field. I thought I would get my uh, sauce all boiled down. And then when I came home, I would can it. So I was hurrying around, rushing around had it bubbling so nice and I have a I have a separate stove that I am fortunate enough to have a separate area where I can do my canning and this um, it's a kind of what we call a retro stove and it the, the controls are tricky and in my haste to turn the burner off and flee the house I turned it to high and went 30 miles from home um, fortunately my son and my husband happened to pop into the house to, to check on something from when they came in from the field and there was this horrible thing happening in like there. smoke was smoke out of it. and a terrible smell and um, my son was able to grab a hold of this uh, stock pot that was almost red hot and get it out onto the concrete but in the meantime I didn't burn down the house, but I had, look, you know how the mud pots in um, <laughs> Yellowstone are, how they burst and they kind of bubble. I had spaghetti sauce everywhere in that room, but I was very fortunate. It was one of these super clad um, stock pots and it even separated all those levels. The, the layers of metal that are in the bottom. Yes, and so that was my warning. I, you only get one of those warnings. Yeah. I didn't burn down the house. Yeah. Uh, nobody died, but pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention to what you're doing. And it's also tragic, even when you're just like, so this is my little version of that, is that I am doing a million things at one time, mm -hmm. and I think I can leave, like, say I'm making applesauce, which is really prone to burn, and I think I can leave it for a while, and I'll go do something else and come back, and I'll have a nice charred layer of apples that are stuck mm -hmm. on the bottom of the pan, and then everything that you're cooking smells like all of the rest of the sauce See, is kind of it's scorched. Yeah, it's yeah scorched. scorched. So, so pay attention. So don't do that. Pay attention, and it's it's um, also it's a lot of work to put into preparing your food yes. to even get to the point where mm -hmm. you're putting it into jars. So you definitely don't want your work to go to waste, especially when you do something like salsa, which is so much chopping. Audiobooks. Audiobooks. Although you did watch Sharknado while you were making salsa, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> which is very out of character and hard to understand. Okay, next mistake. You're up. 
Have you ever felt a pull to go more deeply into ancient wisdom traditions? Do you feel like you are created for more, but you don't know how to connect with your inner purpose and inner voice in a way that feels right to you? Are you super curious about how to incorporate more Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, or aromatherapy into your lifestyle? Or maybe you want to learn a few modern homesteading skills like canning, preserving, or soap making. If you answered yes to any of these questions, the Intuitive and Seasonal Living Academy is for you. The Academy follows the cycle of the year and is divided into individual seasons, each carefully curated to give you the pertinent and life-changing information that ancient wisdom has to teach us about what is changing in nature and what is therefore changing in us. Learn how to leverage this information for a better quality of life, a deeper sense of connection, and a soulful understanding of your own life's purpose. We can't wait to see you in class. Join us for one season or the full year. Work at your own pace, at your own timing, at your own convenience, wherever you are. Go to bit.ly slash myisla to learn more and enroll. That's bit.ly slash myisla to join us. Um, use only regular canning jars and approved canning lids. Don't use your mayonnaise jars, your peanut butter jars from the store. They are not tempered glass. They're not approved for the high temperatures of every, everything is hot. When you're canning, everything is hot. Um, they will burst. Um, the lids may not fit on them properly. Save them for something else, dry storage of your rice and beans or something, but not for canning. Yes, they're awesome for herbs and things like that. So when I was first getting going with canning, I, of course, went from zero to 5,000 miles an hour with it right away is how I do everything. And so I was needing a lot more canning jars. So there was a lot of older ladies in the town that I lived at the time that were giving away canning what canning jars. And so I would go and I'd pick up like boxes of these canning jars and invariably about half of them mm -hmm. would be old mayonnaise jars, yeah. peanut butter jars, whatever. And the lids really don't fit on them. And you can even feel that the the thickness almost it's, of, it's, the, yeah, of the glass. Yeah, it's not tempered. It needs to be a regular yep. mason jar. And let me tell you what you don't want to have exploding, and it happens sometimes anyway, is a jar inside your canner. I know. It's, so it's a mess. It's discouraging. Yes. <laughs> that's sad. And that'll happen even with your tempered glass. Every stuff. once in a while you get one that's just become weakened for whatever reason and the yep. bottom will crack out or something. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. So we've already talked about using tested recipes. Uh, next one that I have kind of dovetailed with what we just said is not having your jars hot when you're ready to put your food material into your jar, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everything so is hot. You just have to have it that. hot. Everything hot. So what I do is I time the heating of my water bath and the boiling of my food material, whatever that is, to whenever my dishwasher is going to end. Mm -hmm. And I have a, I can see on my, on my dishwasher how much So time you're I saying left. you're sterilizing your jars I, in your dishwasher. I, not yes. everybody does that. Yeah. I sterilize my jars in the dishwasher because it's easiest and it also keeps them really hot. Like my dishwasher, I can mm -hmm. barely touch them. Right. And then I go, oh, I can do one too. Yes. We'll get to that. Soon. So, um, I go straight from that to putting the food into it. And then for me, I have enough room on my stove top that I actually put that jar right next to the water bath canner so that it stays warm while I'm getting the other six jars filled. What I used to do is sterilize my jars the night before and then be like, ah, it doesn't matter that much that they're not hot. And then 
almost all of my bottoms would blow off. I did that with like a whole batch of pickles one time, no. so don't do that. You really need to have your jars hot. So your tip for hot jars. Rubber gloves. So she has a pair I don't of know rubber why gloves I, here. I don't know why I didn't know about this and nobody has ever said it's something I figured out on my own by accident. But like taking out those hot jars from your dishwasher or however you sanitize them or whatever, it's just so much easier than using hot mitts or a, a pot holder or whatever, a towel. It, they're just clumsy. And I find mm -hmm. even when I'm filling the jars and you kind of have to steady it and whatever, it, and you can't grab onto these hot things for very long, mm -hmm. but um, it gives me good grip when everything's, you know, moist and wet. I used your favorite word. I know. And um, yeah, so not the kinds, not the kinds the doctor wears or whatever, but just it's your the regular old yellow ones you yes. get at the grocery store yes. with all the other kitchen gadgets. That has been um, a game changer for me, anyway. I always forget those because for years I didn't have them around because my cat was obsessed with them. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, so next one that I have is not adjusting your processing time for your altitude. We're not real high here. But we're high enough, you have to adjust I it. I know. So here we are, and we're at like, gosh, somewhere between 25 and 32. Let's just say 25. Just Yeah, um, 100 feet above sea level. Uh, and that is actually enough elevation here in North Dakota where you do need to adjust, meaning that the higher in elevation you go, the more processing time you need. Right, so for under... If your processing time is under 20 minutes, you add a minute for every thousand feet. If it's uh, your processing time is over 20 minutes, you add two minutes for every thousand feet. Yeah. So I have a salsa recipe that I got from Grit Magazine. I've been using it for years, and I know that it was tested because they're that kind of a resource. Mm -hmm. But they didn't have an altitude adjustment in there, so I had to manually calculate that. And if you forget what she says, there is instructions for adjusting that in the right. ball blue yeah. book as well. Yeah. What do you have next? Um, let's see. Headspace. Well, this isn't a real good example. No, but... this is an example of way too much headspace. <laughs> yeah. Headspace is the amount from where your food ends and your lid, the top of your lid start, stops. You need to ha have whatever is a, uh, in your recipe. Generally, it's a half an inch, which just conveniently is like where this little ridge is. Mm -hmm. um, common mistake I would always make is putting pickles in the jar. Oh, you just want to get that last one in. Oh, it's just... It's just coming up a little bit into that space. It'll be fine. Two things happen. Your brine doesn't come up far enough, and then your lid can't suck down into that mm -hmm. space. That's what the reason for that head space is, is that that can that lid, as it cools, as everything's hot and everything cools, it forms this suction and this airtight seal. So you need to have that, um, be sure that you leave that head space. Yeah. Don't, don't try and, you know, cheat yeah even if you fudge. have a little bit left in the pan and you're like oh i don't want this hard work to mm -hmm. go to waste don't overfill it because then yeah. it won't seal and then you'll be angry yep yep okay what else do you have um some recipes i haven't seen them lately but when i first started this they would talk about oven processing mm -hmm. you could fill your jars uh, have your oven preheated at a certain temperature stick your things in there Turn your oven off, and in so many minutes, you can take things off out, and that is not approved. It's not safe. The um, 
temperature is very variable mm. throughout that space. Um, so if you, I actually have a recipe I really like that called for um, oven processing. Well, I still use a recipe, but I um, process it in the water bath. Which, which recipe is that? That's Grandma's Pickles. Oh, so good. Yes, okay, I have a good one. Not reusing lids, but this one has a caveat to it. So these types of lids, so the one that I'm showing right now are the lids that you typically buy at the grocery store. This happens to be a ball brand. And it's like metal on the top and it must be plastic on the bottom. And then mm, it has this is not plastic. Whatever this is, metal. And then it's got like a, a red or orangish ring around it that seals to the mouth of the jar. These are only supposed to be used one time and then thrown away because over time this seal can degrade and you might not get a full seal which then would allow bacteria and things like that in right plus when you are opening a jar of something what do you tend to do you get the mm -hmm. the can open you go and so then you've altered the shape of this and it's not going to set down on the top of your lid yes so as tempting as it is especially this year mm -hmm. with the canning lid shortage mm -hmm. Botulism. That's the only word I want to say to you. That should be your only motivation. Now, I do have a caveat to this. There are reusable canning lids that you can get, and I've been using the Tatler canning lid brand for years. So it's a um, it's a safe plastic. It's one of the more healthy, healthy plastics, if there is such a thing. And then it has these rings that come with it as well. Rubber rings. Yep. There are other ones. So I have some from Europe that are glass lids with rubber um, sealer things like this too that can be reused but these you can use over and over and over in fact I have you know gosh I've had these for six or seven years and I've never had a problem with them you use them exactly the same as your other lids in terms of you have to sanitize them before you use them um, they have to be hot they have to be really hot you have to check that ring so that it's good. has to be seated down into the into the lid of course, um, and then it's a little bit different process for what you do with your ring after you do it. But the point is that you can reuse this over and over and over again. So buy it once and you're done. So you don't, this year, you're not like, if you had these, you wouldn't be chasing around lids like so many of us have had to do. Mom's actually had to steal these from me. Um, so I'm going to put a link for these in the show notes because I think they're a tremendous investment. If canning is something that you want to do long term, you can get the wide mouth and you can get the narrow mouth of these and they last for forever. So those are the only lids that you can really reuse. Okay. Do you have anything else on your... Oh, just getting back to pickles. Oh yes, pickles. You have to make sure all your vegetables or products that you're putting in the jar are clean. So as you're scrubbing your cucumbers, which is another really tedious thing, but really, really important, um, I learned that you need to take a paring knife and trim off just a little sliver of the blossom end of the cucumber because that is the area where um, bacteria wants to harbor. So if you just slice it off, um, you're just, there's a better chance that you have a good product when you're done. Yeah, I I just take off the tiny bit of the end of both ends of my cucumbers just to yeah. be on the safe side and then yeah. I scrub them with a potato sort of scrubber just to make sure there's on some varieties of cucumbers, there's kind of those prickly, sticky yeah, things. Yeah, on the pickler varieties. And that's another place where bacteria like to hang out. So we're avoiding bacteria is what we're doing with safe canning procedures. Okay. Yes.
If you have found your way to this podcast, chances are that you have gotten interested in holistic health because of your own health struggles. And if you know anything about my story, you know that is a big part of my path, finding the answers I needed for myself so that I could feel better. I was inflamed and dealing with a lot of autoimmune issues. I was desperate to help my body, and I knew I needed to do an autoimmune paleo protocol to put out some fires internally. The problem was I had tried several times in the past to do this challenging elimination protocol on my own and failed miserably. The amount of research, food prep, recipe searching, and planning was seriously ridiculous, more than a full-time job, frankly. I felt resentful, didn't see success, and I quit. But then I found beautiful Anne-Marie and her autoimmune accomplice program. For a very reasonable cost, I was able to outsource most of the work for AIP to her zone of genius. This program is packed with information, science, recipes, blueprints, behavioral goal setting and check-ins, and templates for planning your own autoimmune lifestyle. It takes all of the guesswork out of the equation, gives you what you need to succeed, and gives you a lot of time back. I have personally lost a lot of weight and inflammation on this protocol and have seen a lot of my symptoms subside. If you are resonating with what I'm saying here, you could likely benefit as well. Go to bit.ly slash autoimmune Aaron to enroll in the program and use code Aaron 47 for an extra 20% off. That's bit.ly slash autoimmune Aaron to enroll in the program and use code Aaron E-R-I-N 47 for an extra 20% off. Okay, last one, and this is really hard. Once you've done all of this work and your jars have sealed and you've had them in your in your pantry or whatever, every once in a while you're gonna come across a questionable jar. And it might be for various reasons. If there's stuff oozing from it or discolored, something doesn't look right. Like here's a good example. This is very tragic actually. So these are some beautiful peaches from Oregon that our friend Wanda brought us a couple of summers ago and this is my last jar and this morning when I opened up my pantry to get my salsa that I did yesterday in there I noticed that there's been all of this evaporation that's happened with the peaches even though it's still sealed this to me for me I don't know if you would eat it but to me this is alarming like the, the liquid used to be up this high now it's this mm. high so how did it get like that how is it evaporating when it's supposed to be perfectly sealed? If you took it out of the canner and it was this much, it means that you, this much down from when you put it, it means that you had air bubbles in mm-hmm. there. But if it, when you were done and you stored it, it was up to here and now it isn't. Um, I would say that's questionable. When in doubt. When in doubt. And here, and I'm not explaining this for those on the podcast, where you should have some space between your headspace and the top of your lid you know, usually about a half inch. This liquid is down into the jar a couple of inches. There's air, extra air, a couple of inches in the jar. I am going to throw these away and I'm not even gonna give them to the chickens and I'm gonna tell you a story about why in a second. But I've had some other things like that. Have you had some things like that? Yes, and it is. It's really hard to throw them away. Um, I was just reviewing some of the information on home canning and it says that if you are, you know, kind of questioning something, you can heat it up to boiling. And then not only would that perhaps kill something that's bad in it, but that's when off smells on what might might come through. I really don't 
think I'd want to eat peaches after they've been boiled. Yeah, and again, so I would just throw it away. And then you're getting back to your again cooking your food at a high temperature. Yeah. Is there going to be any nutrient left in right. that by the time you're done with it? But also, I've seen that botulism can take a long time at a boil in order to kill. And so, I mean, is it really worth the risk? It truly isn't. Um, so some other things that I've had, I've had weird oozing from a jar. I've had a couple of jars that were sealed perfectly. Everything looked fine, perfect headspace. But when I opened it, there was a strange smell. Mm. It was like almost like a metallic bitter smell. Mm. And I don't know what that was, but I know it wasn't risking my life over botulism to right. find out if it was okay or not. So our friend Wanda told me, do you know Wanda's story about botulism and canning? So this is when she was growing up. She grew up on a farm, our friend Wanda. And there was a questionable canned item. I don't, I don't remember what it was exactly. And it was decided by someone that, well, the humans probably shouldn't eat that, but we'll just throw it to the chickens. So somebody went out and tossed this jar of questionable stuff to the chickens, and they went out like a half hour later and all the chickens were dead. Oh. No, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. It is not worth taking a risk for your I life did, over. I did hear, see something where like, when you dispose of it, make sure that no humans or animals can get into yep. it. Yeah. So. Yeah, and in fact, I found a, a jar. Have you ever had this happen? I found a jar in my pantry this last week that had been sealed previously, and all of a sudden it had unsealed itself. Yeah. If anytime it's a... Well, that just means that it's... um. Something in there is fermenting or whatever, giving off yeah. gases, and and it has broken that seal. So, um, so there's good fermentation, but then this is the this is an example of the bad kind of yeah, fermentation that's why that we don't, don't do want. fermentation at all. <laughs> I do, <laughs> not a rule follower, <laughs> but I do follow rules if there's botulism at stake. So, anything else that you can think of? Well, I mentioned that I got caught in a mistake. I just realized it now. Um, I haven't made jelly for a long time, but I decided to make apple jelly this year because I finally have an apple tree that's producing enough that Yay, I can actually Yay, this make. is a huge victory in North Dakota. This is 44 years. Very, trying. very hard to be an apple tree in yes. North Dakota. So anyway, I made some lovely apple jelly, and because of the lid shortage, mm -hmm. I decided to follow. I mean, I looked in my Better Homes and Gardens, and it says that jellies do not have to be processed because of their high sugar content, mm. and that you can... Anyway, you can use the paraffin wax. Oh, I happen to have paraffin wax. So I sealed all of those with, um, all those jars of jelly with paraffin wax. And now I read in my North, North Dakota Extension Bulletin that jellies need to be processed. So Aww. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with them. I'll figure something out. Yeah. Whether I stick them in the freezer or something, I think they'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. But anyway, so I used outdated information. And that's easy to do. Like if you are a book lover like me and my husband and you like to go to like garage sales or used books stores and you find like these really cool old books about how to do things like mm -hmm. modern homesteading and whatever, they're going to have some instructions in there and those instructions very likely are not going to be based on the most recent right. information that we have. So be careful of that as well. But for the most part, you know, I think like the risks of canning, once you kind of get the hang of what canning's about, if you have a chance to have a mentor, yeah. you know, or, I, well, now I, I suppose YouTube, you can just watch on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But again, watch and make sure that that is a trusted source, mm -hmm. that they are following the rules. But 
um, you know, just the procedure sometimes looks a little bit daunting, like what do mm -hmm. you do first? And some of that just ends up to be trial and error, like, oh, I didn't start my water soon enough and now yeah. I'm ready and it's not boiling. Yep. And, um, you know, so that's time consuming, but. I'm actually gonna be writing a blog this week about how to make your canning process more efficient. Some tools that I've used and then also just timing of things that they don't tell you in the recipes that can really help to make the process much faster. I mean, I can make a batch of pickles now in half the time that it used to take me because I've finally figured out the timing of things mm -hmm. and, and how fast I can work as well. But tell us some of the things that you can and then some of the benefits that you enjoyed from canning. Well, this year I uh, did peaches. Um, they really taste good in the winter time, yeah. and my grandsons all love them, so it's kind of a treat for them. I used to do pears. I didn't do any pears this year. Um, you know, it's just what I have time for. Pickles, we always have to have dill pickles, mm -hmm. lots of salsa, lots of the tomato-y things. Mm -hmm. Did the applesauce, the jelly, salsa, spaghetti sauce. Uh, we make a vegetable juice called V4 juice, mm -hmm. not V8 because there's only four vegetables <laughs> in order to keep the ratio so that it's the um, pH safe. The pH is yeah. safe. Um, yeah, those are That's some. probably most of it. Most yeah. of it, yeah. I do most of those things as well. Um, slightly different recipes sometimes, but we've been using a lot of the same recipes for a long time. So once you find something that you like and that works for you, that's another tip is like, don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, if you find a really great pickle recipe, just go with that. So, and again, I only water bath can, so that limits what I do, mm -hmm. you know, can. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do corn and beans and peas and whatever. I but... talked to someone the other day that does potatoes. Oh, yeah. They peel their potatoes and then they um, pressure can them in water. Mm -hmm. And then they use them for like potato salads. Oh, which I thought was interesting. So that's another way to preserve your food when you know your potatoes aren't going to last all winter. So just a matter of like where you want to start. So if somebody wants to start canning, what do you think their first canning project should be? Should it be pickles or should it be? <laughs> um, well, definitely start with something you know you like. Mm -hmm. Like um, I would never can peas because canned peas sound horrible to me so I would never yeah. spend that much time and effort no. so if you you know pickles I think are pickles are a good one are pretty forgiving mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and then the tomato products mm -hmm. uh, there again if you have um, you might need additional things to help like that puree and mm -hmm. and whatever we have a gadget we call the squeeze-o kind of transform doing that sort of thing in applesauce yep. and um, if not you can freeze whole I mean you can can whole tomatoes without mm -hmm. um, but yeah pickles pickles I, I don't know I, I, I guess because that's where I started yeah if I've ever kind of helped somebody get into canning it's been starting with pickles but I think actually I've brought a lot of those people to you to <laughs> learn the right way um, but now like after all these years of doing it it's been a long time that I've been canning myself on my own um, so I feel comfortable kind of guiding that process and in the fall session of the intuitive and seasonal living Academy that bonus session I do talk about some of those extra tools that are really helpful it's like for the tomato products and things like that so if that's of interest to you again you can go to bit.ly slash my capital isla and get yourself enrolled in fall session we start next tuesday or any time after that that works for you in your life thanks mom is there anything else you want to say about canning 
You do the work now and enjoy the fruits of your labor in the middle of winter. Yes, that's one of the best things. Yeah. It's like I love it's so iconic this time of year to come in mom's house and to smell pickles or tomatoes that are ready to be canned and we're doing harvest and there's like so much activity this time yeah. of year. It's like, sometimes hard to fit it in. It's almost like you question, is it worth all these extra hours of work at this time of year that's so full and so stressful mm -hmm. to do this, but then you get into the dead of winter and you can make your tomato soups or your stews or have that jar of peaches uh, that reminds you that summer will come again. That's mm -hmm. very meaningful yeah. and it's very nourishing and it's a way to cut down on, you know, your food budget as well. Yep. So there's lots of benefits to it, but these are some of the mistakes that we have made and that we don't want you to make as well as some additional ones that are really important to remember for safety. Again, checking out the latest resources from your extension facility are going to be really helpful as well. If this was interesting to you, please like, comment, subscribe, and make sure you hit that button for notifications so that you know when the next blog or podcast is up and we will see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, everyone, that's our show for today. I am so grateful that you joined us. If you learned something or found yourself inspired, please subscribe to this podcast and rate us well. And if you are interested in even more tips and tricks about holistic living, go to prairiearomatherapy.com and join the Apothecary Inner Circle by using the newsletter bar. Finally, if you found this information of benefit, I would be so thankful if you would share this podcast. I know that together we can help more folks live a holistic lifestyle with ease.